Chapter Eleven, Parts One, Two, and Three of War in the Air. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karina Schultz. War in the Air by H. G. Wells. Chapter Eleven, Parts One, Two, and Three. Chapter Eleven The Great Collapse. Part One. And now the whole fabric of civilization was bending and giving, and dropping to pieces and melting in the furnace of the war. The stages of the swift and universal collapse of the financial and scientific civilization with which the twentieth century opened followed each other very swiftly, so swiftly that upon the foreshortened page of history they seem altogether to overlap. To begin with, one sees the world nearly at a maximum wealth and prosperity. To its inhabitants, indeed, it seemed also at a maximum of security. When now, in retrospect, the thoughtful observer surveys the intellectual history of this time, when one reads its surviving fragments of literature, its scraps of political oratory, the few small voices that chance has selected out of a thousand million utterances to speak to later days, the most striking thing of all this web of wisdom and error is surely that hallucination of security. To men living in our present world state, orderly, scientific, and secured, nothing seems so precarious, so giddily dangerous, as the fabric of the social order with which the men of the opening of the twentieth century were content. To us it seems that every institution and relationship was the fruit of haphazard and tradition and the manifest sport of chance, their laws each made for some separate occasion and having no relation to any future needs their customs illogical their education aimless and wasteful their method of economic exploitation indeed impresses a trained and informed mind as the most frantic and destructive scramble it is possible to conceive their credit and monetary system resting on an unsubstantial tradition of the worthiness of gold seems a thing almost fantastically unstable and they lived in planless cities, for the most part dangerously congested. Their rails and roads and population were distributed over the earth in the wanton confusion ten thousand irrelevant considerations had made. Yet they thought confidently that this was a secure and permanent progressive system, and on the strength of some three hundred years of change and irregular improvement answered the doubter with, Things have always gone well. We'll worry through. But when we contrast the state of man in the opening of the twentieth century with the condition of any previous period in his history, then perhaps we may begin to understand something of that blind confidence. It was not so much a reasoned confidence as the inevitable consequence of sustained good fortune. By such standards as they possessed, things had gone amazingly well for them. It is scarcely an exaggeration to say that for the first time in history whole populations found themselves regularly supplied with more than enough to eat, and the vital statistics of the time witness to an amelioration of hygienic conditions rapid beyond all precedent, and to a vast development of intelligence and ability in all the arts that make life wholesome. The level and quality of the average education had risen tremendously and at the dawn of the twentieth century comparatively few people in western europe or america were unable to read or write never before had there been such reading masses there was wide social security 
a common man might travel safely over three-quarters of the habitable globe could go round the earth at a cost of less than the annual earnings of a skilled artisan compared with the liberality and comfort of the ordinary life of the time the order of the roman empire under the antonines was local and limited and every year every month came some new increment to human achievement a new country opened up new mines new scientific discoveries a new machine for those three hundred years indeed the movement of the world seemed wholly beneficial to mankind men said indeed that moral organization was not keeping pace with physical progress but few attached any meaning to these phrases the understanding of which lies at the basis of our present safety sustaining and constructive forces did indeed for a time more than balance the malign drift of chance and the natural ignorance prejudice blind passion and wasteful self-seeking of mankind the accidental balance on the side of progress was far slighter and infinitely more complex and delicate in its adjustments than the people of that time suspected but that did not alter the fact that it was an effective balance they did not realize that this age of relative good fortune was an age of immense but temporary opportunity for their kind they complacently assumed a necessary progress toward which they had no moral responsibility they did not realize that this security of progress was a thing still to be won or lost and that the time to win it was a time that had passed they went about their affairs energetically enough and yet with a curious idleness toward those threatening things no one troubled over the real dangers of mankind they saw their armies and navies grow larger and more portentous some of their ironclads at the last cost as much as the whole annual expenditure upon advanced education they accumulated explosives and the machinery of destruction they allowed their national traditions and jealousies to accumulate they contemplated a steady enhancement of race hostility as the races drew closer without concern or understanding and they permitted the growth in their midst of an evil-spirited press mercenary and unscrupulous incapable of good and powerful for evil the state had practically no control over the press at all quite heedlessly they allowed this torch-paper to lie at the door of their war magazine for any spark to fire the precedents of history were all one tale of the collapse of civilizations the dangers of the time were manifest one is incredulous now to believe they could not see could mankind have prevented this disaster of the war in the air an idle question that as idle as to ask could mankind have prevented the decay that turned assyria and babylon to empty deserts or the slow decline and fall the gradual social disorganization phase by phase that closed the chapter of the empire of the west they could not because they did not they had not the will to arrest it what mankind could achieve with a different will is a speculation as idle as it is magnificent and this was no slow decadence that came to the europeanized world those other civilizations rotted and crumbled down the europeanized civilization was as it were blown up within the space of five years it was altogether disintegrated and destroyed up to the very eve of the war in the air one sees a spacious spectacle of incessant advance of world-wide security enormous areas with highly organized industry and settled populations gigantic cities spreading gigantically 
the seas and oceans dotted with shipping the land netted with rails and open ways then suddenly the german air fleets sweep across the scene and we are in the beginning of the end part two this story has already told of the swift rush upon new york of the first german air fleet and of the wild inevitable orgy of inconclusive destruction that ensued behind it a second air fleet was already swelling at its gasometers when england and france and spain and italy showed their hands none of these countries had prepared for aeronautic warfare on the magnificent scale of the germans but each guarded secrets each in a measure was making ready and a common dread of german vigor and that aggressive spirit prince karl albert embodied had long been drawing these powers together in secret anticipation of some such attack this rendered their prompt cooperation possible and they certainly cooperated promptly the second aerial power in europe at this time was france the british nervous for their asiatic empire and sensible of the immense moral effect of the airship upon half-educated populations had placed their aeronautic parks in north india and were able to play but a subordinate part in the european conflict still even in england they had nine or ten big navigables twenty or thirty smaller ones and a variety of experimental aeroplanes before the fleet of prince karl albert had crossed england while bert was still surveying manchester in bird's-eye view the diplomatic exchanges were going on that led to an attack upon germany a heterogeneous collection of navigable balloons of all sizes and types gathered over the bernese oberland crushed and burnt the twenty-five swiss airships that unexpectedly resisted this concentration in the battle of the alps and then leaving the alpine glaciers and valleys strewn with strange wreckage divided into two fleets and set itself to terrorize berlin and destroy the franconian park seeking to do this before the second air fleet could be inflated both over berlin and franconia the assailants with their modern explosives effected great damage before they were driven off in franconia twelve fully distended and five partially filled and manned giants were able to make head against and at last with the help of a squadron of drachenflieger from hamburg defeat and pursue the attack and to relieve berlin and the germans were straining every nerve to get an overwhelming fleet in the air and were already raiding london and paris when the advance fleets from the asiatic air parks the first intimation of a new factor in the conflict were reported from burma and armenia already the whole financial fabric of the world was staggering when that occurred with the destruction of the american fleet in the north atlantic and the smashing conflict that ended the naval existence of germany in the north sea with the burning and wrecking of billions of pounds worth of property in the four cardinal cities of the world the fact of the hopeless costliness of war came home for the first time came like a blow in the face to the consciousness of mankind credit went down in a wild whirl of selling everywhere appeared a phenomenon that had already in a mild degree manifested itself in preceding periods of panic a desire to secure and hoard gold before prices reached bottom but now it spread like wildfire it became universal above was visible conflict and destruction below something was happening far more deadly and incurable to the flimsy fabric of finance and commercialism in which men had so blindly put their trust as the airships fought above the visible gold supply of the world vanished below an epidemic of private cornering and universal distrust swept the world 
in a few weeks money except for depreciated paper vanished into vaults into holes into the walls of houses into ten million hiding-places money vanished and at its disappearance trade and industry came to an end the economic world staggered and fell dead it was like the stroke of some disease it was like the water vanishing out of the blood of a living creature it was a sudden a universal coagulation of intercourse and as the credit system that had been the living fortress of the scientific civilization reeled and fell upon the millions it had held together in economic relationship as these people perplexed and helpless faced this marvel of credit utterly destroyed the airships of asia countless and relentless poured across the heavens swooped eastward to america and westward to europe the page of history becomes a long crescendo of battle the main body of the british indian air fleet perished upon a pyre of blazing antagonists in burma the germans were scattered in the great battle of the carpathians the vast peninsula of india burst into insurrection and civil war from end to end and from gobi to morocco rose the standards of the jihad for some weeks of warfare and destruction it seemed as though the confederation of eastern asia must needs conquer the world and then the jerry-built modern civilization of china too gave way under the strain the teeming and peaceful population of china had been westernized during the opening years of the twentieth century with the deepest resentment and reluctance they had been dragooned and disciplined under japanese and european influence into an acquiescence with sanitary methods police controls military service and wholesale process of exploitation against which their whole tradition rebelled under the stresses of the war their endurance reached the breaking point the whole of china rose in incoherent revolt and the practical destruction of the central government at peking by a handful of british and german airships that had escaped from the main battles rendered that revolt invincible in yokohama appeared barricades the black flag and the social revolution with that the whole world became a welter of conflict so that a universal social collapse followed as it were a logical consequence upon world-wide war wherever there were great populations great masses of people found themselves without work without money and unable to get food famine was in every working-class quarter in the world within three weeks of the beginning of the war within a month there was not a city anywhere in which the ordinary law and social procedure had not been replaced by some form of emergency control in which firearms and military executions were not being used to keep order and prevent violence and still in the poorer quarters and in the populous districts and even here and there already among those who had been wealthy famine spread part three so what historians have come to call the phase of the emergency committees sprang from the opening phase and from the phase of social collapse then followed a period of vehement and passionate conflict against disintegration everywhere the struggle to keep order and to keep fighting went on and at the same time the character of the war altered through the replacement of the huge gas-filled airships by flying machines as the instruments of war so soon as the big fleet engagements were over the asiatics endeavored to establish in close proximity to the more vulnerable points of the countries against which they were acting fortified centers from which flying machine raids could be made for a time they had everything their own way in this and then as this story has told 
the lost secret of the butteridge machine came to light and the conflict became equalized and less conclusive than ever for these small flying machines ineffectual for any large expedition or conclusive attack were horribly convenient for guerrilla warfare rapidly and cheaply made easily used easily hidden the design of them was hastily copied and printed in pinkerville and scattered broadcast over the united states and copies were sent to europe and there reproduced every man every town every parish that could was exhorted to make and use them in a little while they were being constructed not only by governments and local authorities but by robber bands by insurgent committees by every type of private person the peculiar social destructiveness of the butteridge machine lay in its complete simplicity it was nearly as simple as a motor bicycle the broad outlines of the earlier stages of the war disappeared under its influence the spacious antagonism of nations and empires and races vanished in a seething mass of detailed conflict the world passed at a stride from a unity and simplicity broader than that of the roman empire at its best to a social fragmentation as complete as the robber baron period of the middle ages but this time for a long descent down gradual slopes of disintegration comes a fall like a fall over a cliff everywhere were men and women perceiving this and struggling desperately to keep as it were a hold upon the edge of the cliff a fourth phase follows through the struggle against chaos in the wake of the famine came now another old enemy of humanity the pestilence the purple death but the war does not pause the flags still fly fresh air fleets rise new forms of airship and beneath their swooping struggles the world darkens scarcely heeded by history it is not within the design of this book to tell what further story to tell how the war in the air kept on through the sheer inability of any authorities to meet and agree and end it until every organized government in the world was as shattered and broken as a heap of china beaten with a stick with every week of those terrible years history becomes more detailed and confused more crowded and uncertain not without great and heroic resistance was civilization borne down out of the bitter social conflict below rose patriotic associations brotherhoods of order city mayors princes provisional committees trying to establish an order below and to keep the sky above the double effort destroyed them and as the exhaustion of the mechanical resources of civilization clears the heavens of airships at last altogether anarchy famine and pestilence are discovered triumphant below the great nations and empires have become but names in the mouths of men everywhere there are ruins and unburied dead and shrunken yellow-faced survivors in a mortal apathy here there are robbers here vigilance committees and here guerrilla bands ruling patches of exhausted territory strange federations and brotherhoods form and dissolve and religious fanaticisms begotten of despair gleam in famine bright eyes it is a universal dissolution the fine order and welfare of the earth have crumpled like an exploded bladder in five short years the world and the scope of human life have undergone a retrogressive change as great as that between the age of the antonines and the europe of the ninth century end of chapter eleven parts one two and three